Welcome to On The Money, where you can find out anything and everything to do with finance, business and the economy. On The Money is broadcast live from the studios of Radio 2SER and nationwide on the Community Radio Network. I'm Tanya Katsanis and this week we're celebrating International Women's Day and because we're in an election year, it seems fitting to acknowledge and pay tribute to women in politics. So we're talking to a couple of movers and shakers in state politics, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to On The Money. With the New South Wales state election looming and our federal election to be held at some stage this year, the On The Money team thought there is no better way to celebrate International Women's Day than acknowledging our female pollies. But there's one burning question. Why would any woman in her right mind want to become a politician? On any given day, at the discretion of the potentially disapproving public or their political peers, a female politician is likely to be called a bitch, a slut, too fat or just plain ugly. If you show strength, you're aggressive. If you show emotion, you're seen as weak. If you're not married with children, there's something wrong with you. And if you're married with children, you're a bad mother because you put your career before your family. Can a female politician ever win? And it seems that this workplace is extremely toxic. Now, to help me answer this crucial question of why any woman should become a politician, I have the privilege to be joined by two very accomplished and very thick-skinned ladies. So via phone, I have Penny Sharp, Shadow Deputy Leader of the New South Wales Labor Party and Shadow Minister for Environment and Heritage, Shadow Minister for Transport and Major Events. And live in the studio, I've got Angela Vithoukas, Leader of the Small Business Matters Party. Now, welcome, ladies. Hello. Hi. Penny, if I can start with you, why did you become a politician? I became a politician because I was interested in lots of issues and I decided that I wanted to be where the decisions were made. I got tired of talking. I got tired of arguing with people at parties. I got tired of not seeing change. And for me, I joined the Labor Party when I went to university. I moved from Canberra to Sydney. And I decided then it was time to really sort of stop talking and start acting. I didn't ever think I'd be a politician. I just joined, I really just joined the Labor Party because it reflected the values that I have. But for me, it ultimately was I just couldn't sit by and see other decisions being made by others when I thought that, you know, we could do better. Now, you did study food technology in New South Wales and you became active in student politics then. Is that right? I did. I did, yes. So what are the issues that you're passionate about then? Are they still relevant now and do they still persist? You know, they still are, actually. I mean, the things... Uh, one of the reasons I got involved in the Labor Party was actually... The time was the introduction of HECS, the Higher Education Contribution Scheme, and I was the, my father was the first person who'd gone to university in his family, and he'd been able to do that because under the Whitlam government um, there was free tertiary education, and so for me free education was a really important thing, and I it was an important choice that I made, which was I wanted to be involved with the Labor Party to shape it from within rather than walking away when it did something that I didn't like. And the other thing that really politicised me as a young woman was um, women's reproductive rights. Abortion is still in the criminal code in New South Wales. Um, I've been very involved over the years in a number of of, of issues, safe access zones around abortion clinics and those kind of things. 
So yes, even as you know, a young woman of 19 and now an older woman at 48, still there's still issues that I feel passionate about. I'm very happy you touched on the abortion issue, but we will come to that a bit later. Now, Angela Vithorkas, you're leader of the Small Business Party. Now, the name of your party speaks for, for itself. So can you just tell us what was the main driving passion for you to become a politician being a small business owner previously? Uh, thank you, Tanya. And hello, Penny. I'm, I'm sorry to miss you in the studio today. I was looking forward to seeing you. No, me too, Angela. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's um, it's a busy time. And um, while Tanya was asking you those questions, I, I felt like jumping in and saying, asking um, two pollies, uh, you more so than me, 10 days out of almost 10 days out of, a, out of an election is uh, probably one of the most stressful times at the moment in either one of our lives. Um, look, I'm probably similar lines to... Uh, what Penny has just said, it's circumstances that find you uh, and life's journey that, that drives you down a path of where you never thought you would end up. I would have told you seven years ago, I would have guaranteed you I would never, ever, ever enter politics. And I found myself in a situation where small business didn't have the voice I thought it had in the city, um, particularly in the city of Sydney, given the the massive amount of uh, rates that it contributes to the local economy. Almost 300 million is is produced by business in the city and we had no voice. And that's what propelled me along those lines. And of course, ever since I have been involved in local government for six years, pardon me, it's meant that I have seen every day more and more issues, uh, more people ignored, not just small business owners, but their families and their communities. And it's those activities that drive you. It's the injustice of what you see. And I think most women in politics, um, and and you've just heard some of what Penny said, most women that get involved in politics is, a, is around issues that genuinely motivate us because of the injustice that appears to be there, whether it's women's issues or, or others. And we get involved to make a change. I think the difference between women and men in politics is that men sometimes gravitate towards a, a party uh, or a group because they want to genuinely pursue a career that way. And not so that women don't want to pursue a career, but it's what motivates us to get into it to start with. Now, you've created a political party from scratch. Yes, I decided to take on a task. So the question then becomes, the biggest, did you face harassment and bullying from, I guess, your competitors, if you want to, for want of a better term? It's it is one of the most loneliest places you can exist in politics is to head up your own party and to have to make all the decisions yourself. You know, we're, we're a new party, we're strapped for resources, we're not a big team. Um, it's very much like being a small business owner where you are jack of all trades and you have to become master of all. Plus, it's a minefield of bureaucracy and red tape, unlike the small business world, because in the small business world, you can manoeuvre, you can bring in experts, you find your way around it, you get annoyed about it, but the bureaucracy of politics is designed to never actually have a straight answer. It's designed to change on the whim of a bureaucrat somewhere and tell you after, not before. You cannot prepare. It is one of the most chaotic uh, and high-pressure environments I have ever faced in my life. And I, I will say that I should have thought about it carefully two, two years ago. Penny, just touching on that, Angela touched on small business issues, etc. But you coming through the ranks of being part of the Labor Party, did you find a, a lot of resistance within your own party? Um, it, that's a difficult question to answer, actually. I suppose it's yes and no. Um, I've always 
I got, I got involved very much at university and one of the things that I have always been very lucky to have found is really fantastic Labor women who have really supported me and encouraged me. And I've also, there's also been Labor men along the way who've taken an interest and you know, been supportive. Having said that, it's not always the case. Um, I have a, a colleague who's a federal MP. I'm not going to, I won't name them, but one of the things she always says about politics is it's the, the loneliest team sport there is. It's um, you, There's a lot that you do on your own, but there's also, particularly when you're part of a major party, um, it's a very complex and large organisation um, that you have to try and um, manoeuvre your way through. So that can be challenging. It can also be very exhilarating, but it's often quite difficult. So what's lonely about being part of the Labor Party? I think it's just the way that you, when you operate, um, very much as politician, you actually operate in a vacuum, particularly if you... It's less so for me because I'm in the upper house, but in the lower house you have your own electorate that's the most important thing that you have to look after and you care for and you spend a lot of time in your electorate and sometimes trying to get um, you know, across the bigger issues and working on, on issues that you know, transcend geography can be really quite challenging for people. And you know, every candidate who's out there at the moment battling in this election, they just you know they get home at the end of the day, they've had millions of people to talk to, the list is never done, um, they're home and you sort of go, no, well, it's still really up to me and ultimately it's my name on the ballot paper and are people going to vote for me? It's quite a... It's a very unusual. It's very uh, personal, life. Penny. Don't don't you find it? It is very personal. It doesn't matter how thick skinned you are. It is still ultimately a judgment on you. Oh, you can be. You have to get used to that, though. I mean, I've got to say, I've been doing it for a long time. I really, it's occasionally people say things. Social media is pretty bad for this. Um, that it sort of pierces your kind of just general working. Um, arrangements and how you feel about how you're going, but you do you do get used to it um, in some ways. And ultimately, you've got to you've got to feel confident that you're doing it for the right reasons, and that the, that um, people are going to disagree with you, and that's okay. Um, I prefer if people disagree politely; they don't <laughs> always do that. Um, but you know, I, I, I genuinely I genuinely um, think it's an enormous privilege and honour to do what I do, and to be involved in the decisions that I'm part of and to campaign for the things that I care about. So the downside, I think, is can be a problem, but I never want people to think that it's not worth it because seeing the change and winning, you know, winning some of those things that you care really deeply about and you know that other people in the community do and being able to help them, it's just fantastic. You get to do things that you'd never get to do otherwise as well. On that note, how effective do you think that women are in influencing policy once they get into the political arena? I think that the change that I've seen really is in the Labor Party in the 20 years. I was involved in 1994 when Labor introduced affirmative action rules. At the time, you know, in our parliaments, women were around 20 to 25%. We're now pretty much at 50%. Um, and the change that I have seen is just in the way that politics is done, um, internally particularly. Don't often see it out in the public where it's still pretty scrappy. Um, but, you know, that change has made an incredible difference in terms of the policies and the way in which we, you know, we deal with issues. You know, Labor's taking to this election, you know, universal preschool for three and four-year-olds. You wouldn't have got that 20 years ago. Angela, did you want to add to that? I think... Uh, for me, it's been a, a, a matter of a, the kind of journey of setting up a party that I wanted to be in 
And that's what we wanted to create. And it was really important for me that women had a prominent role. So where possible, our candidates, um, not that I've preferred women, but I have just tried to make sure that we've had a really good balance of small business owners right across the board. Why is that important for your party? Because I think it adds another dimension. One of my candidates on the upper house ticket is a smash repairer, Diane Coleman. Um, She's a third generation smash repairer long-time family business and it just seemed so unique for me to bring in that gender factor in an industry where you would not believe women are involved because she has a a firm belief in how the industry should change, uh, how it fits in for families, her staff, very passionate about what she does and it resonates even louder when it comes from a woman in that industry and the men in the industry respect her and they respect her opinion so much. So For me, that was the exciting part of setting up the party, the fact that we could bring, I wouldn't say a softness, but certainly a a steely determination that I feel like a mother cub a lot um, with everyone involved in the team and and the resources that we have to G up all the time. And and it's it's constantly being out there and, and pitching what we believe in and then hearing the stories of people saying, thank God you're here. And, and that's what motivates me and keeps me going. And it's, it is tough. It is tough when when things don't go well. Is it harder, do you think, for a female politician to get the public vote or to be taken seriously? I, I'm going to say yes from my perspective, Penny. But Penny, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think for Angela's case, I think establishing a new party and you know all power to you. It's it that is very tough. Just trying to get the attention of a stretch media and it is very very hard. Um, I think that. It's really, it's a good, it's a good thing really that um, getting attention and, and being able to do that. I've got to say, we know through our, um, you know, polling and research. I'm involved with a women's organisation, the Labor Party, called Emily's List, and they've done, they've done every for about the last twenty years, done gender gap research. And in the beginning, it used to show that um, uh, really there was a gap between um, Liberal voters and, and Labor voters in relation to more likely Liberal voters were actually more likely. To, to uh, support women and, women and liberal women were more likely to do that. That's actually changed over time. And it's also got to the point where we know that women candidates actually do often do uh, better and more preferred in the first instance to, to male candidates. So the world has changed and I think that's about visibility. I think it's about more women stepping up, about um, uh, just having uh, more women leaders. I think that it's really, I, I do think it's changed and I don't think we should. Uh, be too negative about that. I think I've seen the change, and you know, Labor. There's a reason why Labor wants 50% women, um, not just because we want to represent the community, but we also know that electorally, um, the general public want to see politics look like the people that they try to represent, and women are half the population. We we certainly are, Penny, and you, you, you're quite right there. I think the difference is that um, heading up a party and heading up a new party means trying to double sell the credibility of of the message and it's often it's a bit like the chicken and the egg I can't get the credibility unless you're elected and I can't get elected without the credibility and it's it's a circle that is just going to be a continuation because if we are fortunate enough to get elected at the upcoming state election it'll then be well what's next and there's always going to be that question and and those questions are always going to be directed at me Let's have a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some serious policy issues that are coming up for the election. I'm Tanya Katsanis. You're listening to On The Money.
Welcome back. I'm Tanya Katsanis and you're listening to On The Money, coming to you live from the studios of Radio 2SER and broadcast around Australia via the Community Radio Network. We're celebrating the female politician this International Women's Day and it's now time to get down to some serious business and discuss what policies matter most to our guests, Penny Sharp, Shadow Deputy Labor Leader and Angela Vithoukas, Leader of the Small Business Party. Now, can I talk about what's been in the news recently, which is our Sydney football stadium <laughs> and the debacle that seems to be for, for our non-Sydney listeners. There is a approximately $730 million that has been invested to demolish and rebuild our stadium. So, and Michael Daly has committed to rebuild the stadium back to its original format, I believe. And is that money wise spent? Penny? Well, yes, it's a little bit more complicated than that in that look, the government's spending $2.2 billion on new stadiums um, in, in Sydney when, and Labor's position is pretty straightforward, there are many other greater priorities um, across the state, particularly in regional New South Wales, um, where we just can't justify pulling down a stadium that was only built about 20 years ago um, and replacing it. So Labor's position is the government shouldn't be demolishing this stadium in 16 days out from the election. They seem determined to do it. I was there today when they had the wrecking balls heading in. Um, and we're just saying that look, this election really is a referendum on priorities and whether you think that spending on schools or hospitals or uh, water or the environment... Um, or jobs in regional areas is more important than building a, you know, rebuilding, knocking down and rebuilding a stadium. If uh, if uh, Michael Daly and the Labor team are elected, um, we'll basically we'll, we will rebuild the stadium, but not one cent of uh, public money will go into it. We'll be sorting out a loan with the Sydney Cricket Ground Trust, and they they can rebuild it themselves. That's our position. How do you feel about that, Angela? In terms of the importance for the state's economy, so. My view is that, and I guess I'm I'm closer to this um, from the perspective of the the locality because I'm a city of Sydney councillor and the uproar that it's caused around the residents and the amenity, and it's the entire approach I think of of the government across many projects that it's undertaken and the way they execute them and the absolute arrogance that comes across with the way they execute projects which never fails to stun me. So the way this project was approached, it was dumped on the local residents, it's dumped on the local community, they haven't done the consultation, they haven't listened to the people and their concerns and they've just, pardon the pun, bulldozed straight in. But this is a common theme throughout most of the infrastructure projects. For me, it's not so much about the spend because lucky for uh, this state and this government, there is a lot of money to be had. Now, that's for lots of different reasons. Part of the fact is that we're selling off all the assets and all the money's going into the general consolidated funds so they can just spend it where they want. Um, I don't feel they're making some good choices. I think the fact that we're facing a massive drought and disaster issue in this state and we haven't planned for it, but like many other things, we'd have, we've had consecutive governments that have approached our infrastructure in a lazy insignificant way and this is the result where we are playing a massive catch-up. So the the way that the stadiums has been handled is a symptom of the continued arrogance and ignorance that governments display towards the people and the needs of the state. So in other words, you wouldn't have done it that way? I would not have done it that way. I wouldn't have done hardly anything that they do the way they're doing it. Now, we've had a couple of um, text messages and emails come in from our general audience who have asked a couple of questions. And I thought there's one that I would like to raise with both of you. So the question came in and said, what is your policy on financing and building support networks and ensuring adequate mental health care for the LGBTQI++ individuals in regional New South Wales? Because these communities are overlooked. 
Uh, Angela, can I start with you on that one? Yeah, I think that's that is a great question because our regional communities are overlooked on many different issues and the mental health of a lot of our communities has been overlooked a lot. And and this is how we contribute to society. If we have healthy, happy, thriving people, this is great for our economy uh, and, it, and it's great for our relationships. And ignoring um, different parts of our communities and, and how diverse we are, we do that at our own peril. So a lot more funding needs to be, with, along with resources, needs to be directed to our regions and this is a great example of where it needs to go. So more power to them and and we should certainly certainly make that a high priority. Penny, did you want to add to answering that question as well by one of our audience members? Oh look, every, I've I've done five and a half thousand kilometres in <laughs> the uh, Michael Daly bus in the last couple of weeks. Was Michael was Michael in it, Penny? He no, he was in it for quite a while. He wasn't there all the time. <laughs> we were very upfront about that. Did a lot more time than ScoMo. Um, look. Mental health is an issue across the board. Um, I've literally had very desperate families and mothers in particular sidle up to me and say, you know, we've got issues with my kids. They're in a revolving door around crisis services. There's no support for them when they actually get out. We need support in the community. Um, Labor's actually going to be having a bit more to say about mental health very soon, so I can't preempt the announcements, but I can say that. But um, can I just say, look, we are very alive to this. There's a particular issue also around ice in our region mm. and the psychosis that that brings on. Really desperate families needing help. Labor's made some commitments around extra rehab beds across the state, which is fantastic. But look, um, within, in relation to the LGBTI issues as well, um, Labor's committed to funding a Pride Health and Wellbeing Centre that is based in Sydney, but part of the plan for that in the longer term is they're actually getting some significant funding into telemedicine to actually be able to do outreach. But look, we just need more people on the ground. And as I said, there's more announcements coming, but um, it's it's one of those issues that doesn't get enough attention, but every community and every family it touches. So we're very alive to that. And I also wanted to sort of touch on, especially with our younger people, and it's been in the news and you touched on it at the beginning of the show, Penny, is um, policies around things like abortion and, and pill testing um, that seem to be sort of very, they're very controversial, obviously, within our culture. So how, how, was, how would Labor attack those policies? Look, the pill testing issue is very important. I was lucky to be around when we had a drug summit in 1999, which shows my age. But look, that was 20 years ago. And out of that drug summit was where we massively expanded methadone and other treatment places. It's how we established the medically supervised injecting room. Again, very controversial at the time. Um, Labor is committed to doing another drug summit. 20 years on, the nature of drug use has changed. Um, We just... We, need, we know that we need to bring the community with us. I know that there are many people who just say, you've just got to do the pill testing. Um, we think that there needs to be you know, a proper discussion of that and you can actually move the debate along. So that's where we are on that. Um, in relation to abortion law reform, look, it, it, from my perspective, as I said begin, in the beginning, it's one of the reasons I got involved in politics was around women's reproductive health. We've had some success in that we were able to uh, pass the safe access zone bill in the last parliament, stop people being harassed going into clinics. What Labor's going to do if we're elected is actually refer the laws off to the Law Reform Commission with a view to getting recommendations for reform. In you know, in 2019, it is simply ridiculous that uh, women's that the law around abortion is, is rooted in the 1800s. Yeah, which you're, is really com- yeah you're, com- you're completely right on that one, Penny. That is, it's outrageous. So if we go, because we're, we, I know time is of the essence right now, 
What is the biggest burning issue for each of your parties that you're bringing to the election? For me, it's it's it always will be the, the base of the heart of the Small Business Party, which is justice. Justice for small business, making sure that our voice is heard and that we have a seat at the table so that there is genuine input from us every time. Metro, regional, because different needs are for different That's right. regions. And, and locally, even within Sydney, there are local issues for small business that aren't the same as the CBD. Um, The suburbs have a different approach. They've got their own little economies. They love where they are. Not every business in every region wants to come on George Street and you wouldn't want to go there now anyway uh, and be the next Apple or the next Steve Jobs. So we're we're very much about a voice, a seat at the table and making sure that all policies have small business as a focus. Penny? Well, our tagline is um, putting people first and that's genuinely where we are at. We feel like this government um, has completely lost its way obsessed with you know, privatisation and infrastructure over actually the lives of individual families and, and people. And that's that's our big commitment. We think that the priorities should be on things like schools and hospitals and the environment and regional jobs um, over things like stadiums. That's pretty much our, our, our focus for the next 16 days will be making that case to the people. Can we touch on light rail and the impact and your passion? She's looking at me, Penny. Go, I Angela, knew that. Yes. Angela, you go. You go. This one's yours. Oh yes, apparently I own this issue. Uh, look, light rail is one of those matters that um, galvanised me into setting up a state and federal party. It was because of the massive, massive destruction and impact that light rail has had, not only on the small businesses, but more so as well on the residents. There are people whose lives have will be changed forever, whether their houses are on Doncaster Avenue and they've got the massive. Um, sleeping house of the trams behind them and the floodlights on 24 hours a day and they can't sleep and the noise is unbearable or the fact that people can put their fists through the cracks in the walls in their lounge room or that they've been thrown out of bed from the construction vibrations. You've got small businesses who have been destroyed, bankrupted, lost their homes. There have been, you know, mental health issues. The pressure is untold. This was a project that has blown out budget, destructed local economies. It will take decades to recover, if ever. And guess what? It's still not finished. It's wrecked Newcastle and I'm really scared about Parramatta. I know that we've got so many more pressing issues, but to take us back to celebrate International Women's Day, what would get a woman to enter into politics? What advice would you give them? If I can start with Angela, then I'll go to you, Penny, if that's okay. It's exhilarating to be a civic leader. It is an unbelievable feeling to be able to actually get results and help people, even at a small level, whether it's a a tree root, a block drain, or actually saving their business and getting them 12 months free rent. For me, it's all about saving small business. It's about protecting families and supporting communities. and, And women really are the right people for the job. It's your turn, Penny. Go. It's one of the most amazing jobs that you'll ever do. It's the opportunity to put into place the change and the things that you care about. Um, everything that you care about is worth fighting for. And um, Angela's right, we're all ultimately adrenaline junkies when it gets to the end of it. When you get something through, particularly if it's been hard fought, it is one of the most incredible things that you'll ever do. And you get to work with the most amazing people. It's, it's a privilege to, to do it. And more women do it, need to do it because we need more women in Parliament. Here, here. Thank you both, ladies. You're very both extremely inspiring for me anyway, so I thank you for your time. Thanks, Penny, Thanks and good luck. And that's all we have for you on The Money This Week. A special thanks to our wonderful and inspiring women, Penny Sharp, Deputy Leader of the New South Wales Labor Party, and Angela Vithoukas, Leader of the Small Business Party. 
thanks to our executive producer, Roderick Chambers, and producer, Veronica Alashina and Kevin Suarez. On the Money is produced in the studios of Radio 2SER for the Community Radio Network. I'm Tanya Katsanis. We'll be back again next week to give you the inside running on all things financial. Thanks for your company. 